This morning we begin our Christmas series that I'm excited about, even my own personal study. It was just so rich for me this week, digging in and be quite frank, I found myself in tears a couple times uh, reading the Christmas account and my hope is this, is that Christmas doesn't just become an old thing for you, that each year we celebrate four weeks or one week, and, but we're still enamored with this incredible, immaculate, when I think of the conception of Christ and the virgin birth and the fact that he came for us and was willing to in the great incarnation, that it just doesn't become another thing that, that we know, that we forget, and we move on. But the truth is this, that Christmas is not just the greatest story told, but foretold. It was foretold before it actually was told. It, the Old Testament gives us verse after verse after verse that the Messiah was coming, that Christmas was on its way. The whole Old Testament, the believers in God were anticipating this birth of this Messiah. And so the prophets would tell the story, would foretell what was going to take place. Yet the truth is this, how much do we need, how much information do you and I need, how many facts do we need to really believe something? In order for you to say, I'm convinced with that. And so the whole Christmas story, the virgin birth, the story about Jesus being born in Bethlehem has been contested for a couple thousand years. And so even as you think about our calendar, why do we have, why are we in year 2021? Why was there a zero year and a one year and a two year and a three year? Something had to take place that would change our calendar from B.C. to A.D., some event had to take place that all of a sudden the calendar, instead of counting this way, now is counting beginning at zero and then one. Something took place 2,021 years ago that completely changed the way we do calendars. And, and we know as believers that it was the birth of Christ, that this, this incredible, miraculous event took place that even changed calendars, even how we talk about history. Instead of saying before Christ, we talk about after Christ. And so, but why do we believe what we believe and what kind of encounter, what kind of truth do you need? Yes, we believe by faith, grace through faith, but there's also a part of us that continually is convinced because the Spirit of God lives us and he reveals us truth. Yet the written word of God is evidence that Jesus was who he said he was. But how can we believe the Bible? Why do we believe the Bible? What does it take for us to believe the Bible? We're going to begin back when Jesus was born. Like, if I were to ask you this question, I'll ask you, how do you know Jesus was born in Bethlehem? We can no longer just say, well, you know, the Bible says so. And I, you know, I, I read it every year in Luke and, or in Matthew. And, but we can't just begin there anymore because the world in which we live in doesn't use the Bible as its foundation for truth. And so how do you know that Christ was born in Bethlehem? I, I think we need to, to, to see what the Bible said and then to see if it came true. And so, for instance, how do you know that the Bible, how do you know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Well, it's because prophecy said it would take place. Let me just say it this way. 456 times in the Bible, 
there's a foretold story about something that was going to take place in the New Testament. And in other words, in the Old Testament, before Christ came, they said Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. They said Jesus would tell parables. They said Jesus would, would die on a cross. And, and so in order for that to be true in the Old Testament, it had to come to fruition in the New Testament. So in order to believe that, we must have an eyewitness account that it took place. Otherwise, it's just a fabricated story. Let me just give you a for instance of prophecies that have been fulfilled and have been documented to be fulfilled and then let you just land on those for a second. Here are just 10 prophecies that were told, talked about in the Old Testament and then fulfilled in the New Testament and have been tried and true and found out to be true. Genesis 49.10 said the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. And then it tells us in Matthew 1, Jesus' genealogy comes through the tribe of Judah. Jeremiah 23.5 says that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. Matthew 1, verses 1 to 16, the genealogy, says Jesus was a descendant of King David. Micah 5, 2 that we're going to look at today says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2 and verse 4 says Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, 14 says the Messiah would be born a virgin. Matthew 1, 22 to 23, and Luke chapter 2 and 7, Jesus was born to Virgin Mary. Prophecy said in the Old Testament, Psalm 2, verse 7, that the Messiah would be the Son of God and proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I become your father. Luke 1, 35 says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Isaiah 53, 2 says, the Messiah would grow up in poverty. Mark 6, 3 says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Poor lower class man who was the father of Jesus. Prophecy said in Isaiah 35 that the Messiah would heal the sick. Matthew 11:5 says he, the blind received sight, the lame walk, leprosy was cured. Psalm 78, 2 says the Messiah would speak in parables. Matthew chapter 13, verse 34 says Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. Prophecy says in Zechariah 9, 9, that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. Luke 19, 35 says he came with his, uh, mounted on a colt. The last prophecy we can look at is Psalm 41, 9 says the Messiah would be betrayed by a close friend. John 13, 18 and John 13, 21 says that Jesus was betrayed by the disciple Judas. So something was said and then it was fulfilled. But there's another step. Prove it. You could say anything in the Bible. They could just fabricate it that this took place. And so there have been studies, and people have tested, and they have gone to eyewitness accounts. And literally, the, the, the text that we're looking at today is an eyewitness account to the story of Jesus' birth, and he was born in Bethlehem. That's what Luke is. It's Luke getting an eyewitness account of the birth of Jesus. Now, in order, big picture, in order for all 456 prophecies to be fulfilled, it would be an astronomical number in order for that to take place. Like, even try to wrap our minds around a second how big that number would be, the odds that the same kind of prophecy be fulfilled in the Old Testament and the New Testament is a number that we can't even wrap our minds around. In fact, one person said it this way. Lee Strobel said this. He said, imagine the entire world covered with white tile. 
that was one and a half inch square. So I've cut out some pieces just to give you a picture. Imagine the whole world, all seven continents, covered with one and a half by one and a half inch tiles. The whole world, continent, every dry piece of ground. And every piece of ground was covered by a one and a half inch piece of white tile. And on one of these tiles, there was a red mark on the bottom. Only one. Only one had a red mark. So on the seven continents all across the world would be one white tile. Now imagine if your task was to only be able to turn over one white tile and to find on the first time you turned it over that you found the red dot. That would be an astronomical number, wouldn't it? What are the odds of me like, well, I'm just going to go, I don't know, just, uh, let's, let's go to Germany. Let's get off the plane. I'm going to walk right over here, and I'm going to go pick this one up red. Imagine the odds of that taking place. It's, the number is, is astronomical. In fact, Lee Strobel said it this, this way, that in order for that to happen, that it would be, a trillion, 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 trillion. There would be so many zeros hooked to the number one that the, the zeros would just would be so long that you would have a one in a trillion, 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 trillion chance to find the red tile marked on the or the dot placed on the white tile. He goes on to say this. He says. Even if Jesus only fulfilled eight prophecies, you would still be walking across the earth hoping to flip over the one red tile. He said, God is real and Jesus is the son of God. The odds to which Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of just being born in Bethlehem are astronomical. And the truth is, he did. And there are eyewitnesses to that account. And who had an eyewitness account? Well, let's read. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to look at an eyewitness account. Turn to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. Let's just see what we know. Luke chapter 1. And let me give you a little context about the author. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1, 1 through 4. The author of the book of Luke is a doctor, and he was a physician of the day. Keep in mind, this is very important. He wasn't a contemporary of Jesus. And what I mean by this, he didn't walk on earth when Jesus walked on earth. He wasn't one of the disciples. In fact, if you look at the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the writers of the four gospels, Matthew was a contemporary of Jesus. So he, he was there when Jesus was in ministry. He wasn't there when Jesus was born. Matthew, Mark. Mark wasn't a contemporary of Jesus, so he wasn't one of his disciples. In fact, Mark and Luke were disciples of Paul. So they walked with Paul. They weren't contemporaries. Luke, too, was a Gentile. So he didn't grow up reading the Old Testament. That's important. So he wasn't privy to all the prophecy of the Old Testament. He became a believer later because of what Jesus had done and what he heard about Christ. But when he grew up, his family would have never read the Old Testament. So prophecy, they would have known nothing about it. Mark and him were contemporary. John was around when Jesus was around. 
He was a disciple. However, he wasn't at Jesus' birth. So how do Luke, and how does Luke get information about Jesus to write this account as we know the Luke gospel if he wasn't a contemporary of Jesus? How is it possible? How can he write about the birth of Jesus if he wasn't around during that time? Well, stand up and we're going to tell you all that. And, and, and let's read Luke chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. Would you read it with me? Ready, read. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of his word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You may have a seat. This account is written by Luke because Theophilus came to him and said, Hey, Doc, I've heard this story about Jesus, but I need to know that it's really true. Would you, because you're an intelligent man, you're a doctor, would you do, go do research on this? So we know from history that Theophilus paid Luke because he was a wealthy man, and he said, go study about Jesus' birth. So the book of Luke, hear me out, is an orderly account that Luke wrote for Theophilus. He took back to them and said, guess what? I went as far back as I could go to get information. In fact, I went so far back, I went to an eyewitness account, and this is what I found to be true about Jesus. Go back to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, and I'll show you what I'm saying, the prophecy that spoke about this account. That's where all the pages stick together. You don't spend much time in Micah. It's near the end of your Old Testament. If you get to Nahum, you went too far. But turn to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. This was written by the prophet Micah 700 to 1,000 years before Jesus would be born. And look what he says. But you, what? Who, what's the city? Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be what? What's your Bible say? Ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Let me give you a little context. So 800 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Micah says to his people, by the way, this was a tumultuous time for the people of Israel. They were being attacked. And so Micah speaks not only present to them, but prophetically and said, it's going to be okay. There's a ruler that's coming. He's going to care for the people and he's going to be the ruler over Israel. And by the way, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So he gives them this information way before Jesus was even born to comfort them and to let them know it's going to be okay. Enter Luke chapter one, verses one to four. Let's turn, go back there, what we just read. Look at Luke chapter one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter one and verse four. Verses one to four. Luke says, I have carefully investigated 
everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you so that you, Theophilus, may know the certainty of the things that have been taught. Everything after that is the orderly investigative account that Luke has found out to be true from eyewitnesses. Theophilus, we know from history, was a prominent man during this time. He also came alongside Luke and reminded him that I believe this, but I need to know the truth. Keep in mind, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Keep your finger here, now turn to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We need to put into context how important all this is, this eyewitness account. Look at Acts chapter one and verse one. Acts chapter one and verse one. The same author is Luke. He says, in my former book, what would be his former book, by the way? Luke. He said, in my former book, Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So the book of Acts, he tells Theophilus and he tells the audience there, hey, I already wrote a book and everything that I wrote was an eyewitness account that I gave to Theophilus and now we know today that it is the inspired word of God. So where did he get this information from? Where would you get an eyewitness account of a truth about Jesus if, hear me out, he wasn't a contemporary, which it means he wasn't around when Jesus was around. He was a contemporary of Paul. He wrote the book of Luke 60 AD. So literally 60 years after Jesus' birth, Luke is writing this account. He did an investigative report. He needs to find someone who was there when Jesus was born. And you know who that is? He went to Mary. There is no doubt in my mind that he went to Mary. And you might say, Pastor Jim, why do you believe that? Well, I'll unpack a lot. But it's the only account, Luke is the only account that gives details about the baby. And who would know that? The mother would know. So fast forward, 60 years later, Mary, when she gave birth to Jesus, was probably 15. 60 years later, this 70 to 75-year-old grandmother gets a knock on her door, and as she opens up the door, she sees this man named Luke, and he, she says, yes, can I help you? What are you doing here? And Luke says, I've been asked, and I've been charged, and I've been paid to write about and hear about the birth of Jesus. I hear and I know that you're the mother of Jesus. Picture if you can. Mary opens the door. She comes back down and she sets in a rocking chair. They shut the door and she begins to tell the story about the birth of Jesus Christ. And Luke begins to write an orderly account about the details. You might say, Pastor Jim, why would you say it was Mary? How would you know, by the way, in the book of Luke, it's the only account that says that Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes. Who would know that? A mom. How would you know that he was circumcised at a certain time because a mom would know that she was there and how painful that was for her son? 
How would you know that he was named Jesus because mom named Jesus? In fact, the Gospel of Luke is the only account that gives intricate details of Jesus as a baby and as his life on earth. Why would Mary treasure these things in her heart as she's telling that story? Because she remembered this account. Think about this for a second if you can. Luke is a doctor and he understands pregnancies and births. And by the time he's writing this account, James, who's the brother of Jesus, Jude, who's the brother of Jesus, he had Joseph and Simon and a sister, we don't know her name, James had already written the book of James in 60 AD. Jude had already been written too. So these brothers were born after Jesus. They weren't there at his birth, and so they couldn't give the details. The only one that was at his birth to give details who was alive would have been Mary. Sure, I'm sure James could have chimed in and Jude could have chimed in and said when, when he was a brother and this is what took place and I was there when he did this. And, but no one could give intricate details like Mary could. So 60 years later, after the birth of Christ, the questions begin from Luke, who's being paid by Theophilus because he wants to know the truth of these things that he's believed to be true. Picture if you can. Have you ever sat with your grandma? And she begins to tell stories. And you're like, Grandma, tell me again. And I picture her serving some hot tea to, to Luke and maybe some gnaw bread. And they're sitting down in, in this, this block building. And, and he begins to write. And she says, My son did this. And my son did that. And these, this is the truth about Jesus. Can you imagine that encounter, trying to keep up and trying to write quickly? And the reason why he's taking this is so that Theophilus can be certain of the things he had been taught because he was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't read in the Old Testament. He was later converted Christian, and he wanted the facts from eyewitness accounts. So Luke's gospel is filled with undeniable facts about the birth of Jesus from eyewitness of the day, and Mary is as eyewitness as eyewitness can be. So I believe it probably took hours, and he kept coming back because he was a physician, he had, to, he had to go and help his patients, and he had, he had scheduling appointments. And in between being a doctor, I believe he knocked back, and Mary, by that time, just gave him a key to the place and come in, and they sat down. And so, so tell me when he was 12, and tell me the time he ran away, and tell me, what was it like again in the manger? And, 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 and were you afraid? And, and, and she just told the story hour after hour, day after day, month after month, just told the story, and he wrote the account in an orderly fashion. What would it take for you to believe something? What kind of confidence would you have to have to die for your beliefs in God? In other words, how certain would your certainty need to be to be completely certain that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? You would need some facts, wouldn't you? The book of Luke is a historical writing of truth 
about what took place. And it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and not only inspired, but it came from the mouth of the mother of Jesus to Luke himself, who would later write the book. It's the only gospel account with the details of the birth of Christ. Once you know him to be true, the Messiah, the child in the manger became the king on the cross, and because he did, there are no marks on our record, just grace and eternal life when we trust in him. So Lee Strobel, modern man, he's alive today, he's a preacher. He would, we would call a Gentile. He didn't believe in Jesus. And there are people today who don't believe in Jesus. So you know what he did? He went on a quest to study the authenticity of Jesus' birth. And in his study of Jesus' birth, he concluded that the facts are true that Jesus did come. He was born in Bethlehem. He did walk on earth for 30 years. He did have public ministry. He did go to the cross. He was buried and he was resurrected. It's interesting too, just for, for information for you, Luke is the only account that talks about the ascension of Christ. None of the other accounts do. So he asked some good questions in when he was asking questions. So Lee Strobel gives us the odds of Jesus being born in, think about this, Jesus being born in Bethlehem in his book, The Case for Christ. And this is what he did. He said this, he went to a professor who had studied the prophecies of the Old Testament with his students to see if they all were fulfilled. And so here's what Lee said in his book. He said, a professor at Westmont College has calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecy made concerning the Messiah. He said the estimates were worked out in 12 different classes represented by 600 university students. So 600 university students took the 456 prophecies of the Old Testament in a college class by a college professor and they began to track and study to see if the New Testament in which it was fulfilled, to see if Jesus fulfilled all the prophecy of the Old Testament. Lee says in his books, the students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. They made their estimates, conservative enough so that there, were, there was finally unanimous agreement even among the most skeptical students. However, the professor then took their estimates and made them even more conservative he also encouraged other skeptics or scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more fair. It says this, finally, after all that search of the prophecies in the Old Testament to see if they actually were fulfilled in the New Testament, finally, this professor from Westmont College submitted his figures for review to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. Strobel says, upon examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. For example, concerning Micah 5.2, which it states the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. They concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. But they studied all the prophecies. 
The text says, after examining only eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. So you can do the math. So to write a 10, a one, and a zero, and now add 17 zeros to it. That number is a bagillion. It's just, it's a lot. He says, in order, that's the odds in which Jesus fulfilled the astronomical odds of him being able to do it happen 10 to the 17th power, just with eight of the prophecies. Then the professor did this. He gave an illustration. He said, if you mark one of 10 tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfold man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. But he says, suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars and stack them two feet deep. If you took 10 to the 17th power, it would be like this, taking silver dollars, stacking them two feet high and placing them side by side to cover the whole state of Texas. Now, Texas is 800 miles north to south, 730 some, 40 some east to west. He said the odds of that happening and then taking one of those silver dollars and taking a red Sharpie pen and marking on it red and then have someone walk the whole state of Texas and just choose one silver dollar. It'd take you about eight to 12 days to walk 800 miles at about a 10 to 15 mile pace. So picture, the odds of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies or eight of the prophecies, just eight of them in the New Testament, is you stacking silver dollars two feet high over the whole state of Texas, 238,000 square feet, and then saying, oh, there it is, and picking up one silver dollar and finding it. That's the odds to which Jesus fulfilled being born in Bethlehem. Woo, huh? Wrap your mind around that for a second. They conclude this. Lee Strobel says this in regards to this. He said, any man who rejects Christ as the son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. So the professor gave another illustration. I just want to show you how big this is. He said this. He said, electrons are very small objects. They're smaller than atoms. He said, it would take 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power of them laid side by side to make one inch. Now that's a lot, literally, of electrons. He says, even if we counted 250 of these electrons each minute and counted day and night, it would take 19 million years just to count the line of electrons. That's the odds to which 456 prophecies could be fulfilled. That's the odds that you could walk through the whole world and step on one, one and a half inch block, maybe in Liberia, and find the red dot. That's the odds to which Christ fulfilled all 456 prophecies and they have been studied, they have been tested, and they have been proven that Jesus, the story of Jesus not only was foretold, but it was told and it happened. Yeah, woo! 
Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. A professor from Westmont College said. So, Luke is the orderly account that was given to him, I believe with all of my heart, from an eyewitness source, especially the birth, and that eyewitness source was Mary. So, let's read this orderly account. Listen, picture if you can. You're you're, you're sitting in Mary's front room and she's on a rocking chair. And Luke begins to write, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he says, so tell me about Jesus. And Mary speaks. It says in verse, 20, or in verse 29, just look at it, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. She says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high. Mary's telling, she's telling Luke this, and he's writing it down. And then she says, the Lord God said he, he will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Can you picture, can you picture Luke like, hold on, hold on. What, what was that? And he writes, because he's a human being, later it would be approved at the Council of Nicaea and it would be canonized. But he's writing these words. And, 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 and by the way, just so you know that these letters that were written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were circulated during the day before they were canonized in 320 at the Council of Nicaea, before they became the authoritative, inspired word of God, inerrant and infallible, agreed upon by church fathers. They were passed out as like a group text. Hey, read this from Matt, and hey, read this from Luke. And so they were circulated amongst the day. And hear me out. And they went to Jews and Gentiles, because you can bank on the fact that the Jewish crowd and the Gentile crowd wanted to make sure the details were correct. And yet, any chance they had to correct it, it would have taken place. So you and I are getting today what was already circulated, tested, improved by those of the day. And now, at the Council of Nicaea, the church fathers agreed upon, the Holy Spirit came in that room and said, 39 books Old Testament, 27 books New Testament. So picture if you can You might say, well, they made this up. If it was wrong and the facts weren't true, I'll guarantee the Gentiles said, that's a lie. So what we have today has already been vetted by Gentiles, been vetted by Jews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, an eyewitness account right from Mary to Luke, and he wrote it for us. Come on, come on. That's, listen, listen. That's what you're reading today. It's the word of God. It's just not another book. It's been vetted. It's been proven. An eyewitness account. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is so important for us today. And so he writes. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? 
The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Luke wrote this down from this eyewitness account. I believe it was Mary with all of my heart. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. How? Did anyone know that she was unable to conceive other than a relative, a close-at-hand person? Mary knew. In verse 37, Mary says this beautiful phrase. I love the ESV. and It's for nothing is impossible with God. NIV has for no word from God will ever fail. In the verse 38, Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And so Luke writes, and Mary's 75 years old, and said, this is what happened, and this is what I said. And you know what, Luke? I was afraid when that angel came. And you know, after I saw what was happening, I just said, with God, anything is possible. And so Luke just wrote it down. And then it says this in verse 39. It says, at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. And how did they know that someone hurried? Because Mary told the story where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth, her relative. And, and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby what in the womb? It leapt in her room. It leaped in her womb. By the way, by the way, the fetus in the womb was the first to leap for joy when she heard about the coming Jesus. That fetus was a human being pro-life. There it is. Fetus alive. And Mary just gave, there it is, there it is. The fetus leaped. There's a human being that's leaping. Why? Because they heard the news too, and they jumped. Don't tell me that's not a living baby. There it is. In verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Bless are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise in her. I think what gets lost in this account too is the faith of Mary. Unfortunately, the Catholic Church has given us this picture of Mary that just isn't true. In fact, you might have seen a photo like this in your circles. Like, you see Mary, and she's got this crown, and she's wearing these robes, and she's got flowers, irises, and, and she's, listen to me, Mary was a peasant. She was a 15-year-old person that was born, probably illiterate, history tells us. Probably had, wasn't able to, to be formally educated but God came to an unremarkable woman in an unremarkable city to bring a remarkable king, just like God can do. He does impossible things, which people would sometimes throw to the curb. God takes them, restores them, and from the, the, the womb of Mary, this small town of Bethlehem that wasn't even significant, you would think it'd be a big city. Take them to Jerusalem. No, Bethlehem. Because God just wanted to, to prove his point that he can use small things and humble things to do great things for us. She was willing to let go of her comfort and 
her security and her identity, her reputation. Unfortunately, we don't really understand what it means to be betrothed. And if you would read on in the text, you would see in the Gospels that it says that Joseph was secretly wishing to divorce her. You see, during this time, the betrothal period was 12 months. And once you said yes, and you backed out in the betrothal period, you needed a divorce even before you got married. And during this time, custom would have that if you divorce, often the ladies were thrown out in the middle of the street and they were stoned to death and they were spat upon and they were thrown to the side of the road. And when the angel came to poor Mary, she was willing to throw all that away because she believed that it was God. And only Mary could tell a story like this. I believe, this is my opinion, and after reading the text this week, I, 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 I'm, I'm convinced to myself, and you don't have to be convinced of this, but Luke also records the song of Mary. I believe that the potential exists that this song came in that interview process. It's still the word of God. And I believe that this song was Mary as she's telling the story to Luke and she's recalling the events as a 75-year-old woman. And I believe that as she's seated there and Luke's writing it down for Theophilus and he's recording this and it would later become the inspired, that this song that's recorded was Mary as a grandmother just beginning to sing in her chair, thinking back, because it's in past tense. Why would it be in past tense? Look at the song. Verse 46 says, and Mary said, she sang, it's a song, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She's telling the story and then she says, for he has been mindful, past tense, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Past tense. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And it says Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months. I believe that song came, the possibility existed that it came as Luke got this information about her going to visit Elizabeth and she's remembering that and she just breaks out into a tune. The Lord has been faithful. The Lord has cared for me. The Lord will exalt me. The Lord will lift me up. This is what he has done. And she broke out into a tune and Luke just, sure, sure. She could have sung that at Jesus' birth but I believe the possibility exists that she wrote it then. Luke chapter two tells us this. Just turn over and look at a couple verses in in light of Mary telling this story. It's a beautiful picture. In verse 40, it says, and the child grew and he became strong and he was filled with wisdom. And then it says in verse 40, 51 of chapter 2, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And then it says this, but the mother 
but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Why, 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 why? How would he know that? Because mom, the grandma, said, oh, when that took place, oh, I treasured them in my heart. I believe that this is a first-hand eyewitness account. It's as fact as can fact can be because Mary was still alive when Luke wrote this book and he sat with grandma and she told the story of Jesus and it is fact upon fact upon fact. You see, Jesus became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhood. That's what John would write about him. Jesus, a single cell, a fertilized egg, an embryo, a baby, with placenta nourishing him, an anionic sac surrounded him. He grew to the size of a pomegranate. That's the terminology they use today because they told Hannah that. That's why I tell you that. (laughs) His heart divided into chambers God became flesh and blood and moved into our world because he loves us. And Mary is saying, it's true. It really happened. I was there. Write this down, young man. Write it down. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, vetted by the circulation of the day, approved by the church leaders, Luke would one day become inspired and errant word of God. But many have tried to debunk the virgin birth in the life of Jesus, and they still do. Lee Strobel himself didn't believe in God, but after researching about Jesus' birth and life, gave his life to Christ because he couldn't deny the facts. But there are four arguments that people who try to debunk this. And these arguments don't hold their weight, and I just want to give them to you, and you should write them down because it's, it's good for us to defend our faith. And I want to, one of my values, one of my desires is to equip you to have a good biblical worldview so that you can stand and ask questions. So write these down, like take these down. It's going to be more than snapping a photo here. The first argument is this. It's the coincidence argument. People who don't believe in God would say this, that it's a coincidence that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, (laughs) a one in a trillion, trillion, bazillion chance. We already debunked that theory with studies done by this Westmont College professor. The second argument that they use is the altered gospel argument. And this is what they would say that the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John fabricated the details of Jesus' life to make it appear that he fulfilled prophecy. So when the gospel letters were written, they just opened up the Old Testament and said, Jesus did this, and Jesus saved, and Jesus was born here. But the reality is, the Bible, the letters of the gospel were already circulated amongst the people of the day before it became the word of God. And it was vetted by Jews and Gentiles and followers of the way. And it has not changed since the details have been found to be true. The third argument is the intentional fulfillment argument. 
And people who don't believe would say this, that Jesus maneuvered his life in a way to fulfill the prophecies. Like, he read the Old Testament, he was a good Jewish student, and he did what it said. Like, how would he ever determine how many pieces of silver his body would be sold for? I mean, how would he determine how that his legs wouldn't be broken and the people beside him, hey, don't break my leg! It's foolishness! And the last argument is the context argument. And people who contextually argue would say that the 456 passages intended to be messianic, meant to be pointed to the coming of Jesus, that we just rip out a context and say, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. Linguistic studies have debunked all those to be true. Here's what I know. And man, was it a good week for me. Man, I just left my office like, this is so good. <laughs> Jesus came once to Bethlehem and he will come back again. Bank on it. Amen. Bank on it. If this is found to be true, and it is, and if it was circulated and vetted amongst people, and it was given a chance to be carefully investigated by a doctor called Luke to a firsthand eyewitness, then if that is true, then everything is true, what God says in his word. Jesus came once to Bethlehem, and he's coming again. Lord, we love you. This has been so rich for me this week. The word of God is so precious. And God, I ask that we would just not pass through this Christmas season singing Christmas carols and and not taking time to look at the words and understanding the truths that lay in them. I pray that we wouldn't just read the Christmas story and pass gifts around our tree without being grateful that King Jesus was born and that through him we have eternal life. And God, I'm grateful for people like Mary who had faith enough to believe that her body could hold the Messiah and be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Give us that kind of faith, God. So God, we're grateful that this little town of Bethlehem was the birthplace of King Jesus. And may we never lose sight of that, but may we rejoice that unremarkable towns and unremarkable people can produce remarkable kings. In Jesus' name, amen.